welcome to Innovative Legal Leadership, the podcast where you'll hear from the world's most innovative general counsel and their leadership teams for their insights into the running of a Fortune 500 in-house legal department. The challenges, the wins, the roadblocks, the journey to date, and most importantly, what lies ahead. Let's get into the show. Hello, listeners. Nathan Collier with you here today with a special mini episode. Today, Jim Delcusis, of course, CEO of Pursuit, sat down with Marie Sotella, who's a new voice here on the podcast. Marie is a member of the content team here at Pursuit and is also a lawyer. Jim and Marie sat down to talk about Twitter and Wachtel and the $90 million fee that was approved by Twitter's former owners in the minutes, perhaps hours, leading up to the acquisition of Twitter by, by Elon Musk. And of course, the, the lawsuit that Elon has filed related to that that fee. So lots of interesting thoughts about that situation and also kind of the market in general. So as Jim always says, sit back, chillax, and enjoy the episode. Hi, Jim. Welcome back. Hey, Marie. How are you? I'm very well, Marie. As you can see from my background, I continue to live my best life unashamedly. That is the Mediterranean there, so I'm not showing off, but I kind of am showing off, so sorry about that. I know. You make it so tough on me, Jim, and I'm just like ready to get my flip-flops and my sunscreen out. (laughs) As long as it's inspiring you, Marie, and maybe some members of the audience, that'll have done its job. Absolutely. We can think about being on vacation and learn a little bit about what's going on in the legal industry at the same time. Yep. Yes. Fantastic. Excellent. Sure. So Jim, last time we talked, we were visiting what's going on with this case, Twitter versus Wachtel, Elon trying to claw back legal fees in the acquisition. So give us just a very short recap of that for listeners who haven't tuned into the previous episode. Okay, cool. Okay. So the background is that Elon Musk is taking action through Exco, who basically the parent company of Twitter, to recover what he describes as unconscionable and exorbitant fees charged by Wachtel in acting on behalf of Twitter in essentially defending or prosecuting the M&A agreement to make sure that Musk did go ahead and, as he'd promised, to buy Twitter at what, what ended up being probably three times the true market value of Twitter at about $44 billion. So what had happened in these circumstances is Wachtel was doing work on an hourly rate and right at the last few hours had managed to get the Twitter board and the GC to agree to what appears to be a $60 million-odd premium uplift, if you like, from what was billed up to that point. And that was agreed within hours of closing and, believe it or not, paid within 10 minutes of closing. So what Elon Musk says is this is all essentially taking unconscionable advantage of what he describes as lame duck fiduciaries, the directors at that point of uh, Twitter, who were, you know, minutes away from closing, minutes away of handing in their resignation letters. In fact, the letters were already in escrow. So essentially, he says, there was no real governance and there was no corporate guard. And he's looking to recover some or all of the total of $90 million that was paid that was paid to Wachtel, as I say, $84 million of which actually was paid in the 10 minutes before closing. So that's the background. Do you think that Elon has a chance here? 
Okay, so I'm glad you asked that question, Marie, because I think the more I've thought about it, I think he's in with a cracking chance to recover at least some amount. Why do I say that? Look, ordinarily, when there's a commercial deal that's done with any consultant and it's signed off by the board, it's signed off by the GC or whoever the executives are, it's going to be almost impossible to unwind that as some kind of an unconscionable or exorbitant transaction. But as I've said before, these are no ordinary circumstances. When you look at the background here, it's clear that Wachtell, who's got an incredible reputation, of course, and does have value-based billing as part of its model, what's clear is the agreement was reached to pay the uplift of, if you like, in the last few hours before, before closing. And not only that, if you look at some of the circumstances, one we talked about before, how do you know that a $60 million uplift on what was billed at hourly rates is fair? Well, why isn't $5 million? Why isn't $10 million? What if Wachtell asked for $150 or $200 million? How do you know? Or why wasn't just the rack rates which Wachtell's was billing and they weren't discounted? Why isn't that fair given that Wachtell hadn't taken any risk in the transaction? So, Marie, I think the real thing that is missing here, both for Wachtell as well as the directors, is what is the independent, if you like, confirmation, support, verification to demonstrate that a $60 million uplift in the last, in the dying minutes of the, you know, dying minutes before the closing of the transaction, what objective information is there out there to demonstrate that was fair and reasonable? But the answer is it appears, and we'll wait and see, of course, because we've only seen the complaint from Twitter and we'll have to see what Wachtell comes up with. But I would be surprised if there was objective data evidence out there to demonstrate that was a fair and reasonable fee. Particularly when you when you layer in the really peculiar or let's call them just really unique circumstances here. One, the directors were effectively spending someone else's money by the time they got to this point. We're talking a few minutes before closing. They'd already signed their resignation letters. I don't know whether it's fair to call them lame duck fiduciaries, but the reality is that certainly the court's going to really look deep at how intensely they looked at the fee proposed, what was the downside of not agreeing, what objective evidence was there that it was fair, what would have happened if they hadn't agreed, and it seems to me that the transaction just would have completed. There's nothing to suggest that that transaction wasn't going to close. So $60 million did fly out in the last few minutes, and there's certainly going to be an intense investigation by the court around the circumstances there. And I think the lack of, the likely lack of objective evidence to demonstrate that was fair, reasonable market price, I think that is going to be a real headache for, for Wachtell. So what do I think overall? I think Elon Musk is in with a cracking chance based on what we've read in the complaint and recognising, of course, that complaint is usually the plaintiff's case at its highest. So they're my views on uh, whether Elon's got a chance. Yeah. 
it's still laughable to me that that Wachtell, they, they assume no risk in in this deal. And and at the last minute, things were going their way, and they just decided to tack on a sixty thousand dollar bonus fee. It's like well, sixty million. Or, I'm sorry, sixty million bonus. Yeah, that's what the court is going to look really kind of closely at. Uh, hang on, what is the benefit? What is the true benefit that Twitter received? And if the court determines that nothing would have changed, the deal would have closed, and the only thing missing was the amount of the agreed uplift, if you like. And, well, certainly according to what we've read so far, there wasn't any documentation to say there was going to be an agreed uplift. There might have been an implicit understanding that the parties would revisit at close whether or not there should be an uplift. And certainly we know that Wachtell historically does have that billing model where they will agree with a client at the end of services delivered what, if any, uplift is fair and reasonable given the value they've delivered. And we love that bit because that that's all about value-based billing. But the, the difficulty I think here is going to be well, hang on, what would have happened if the fee wasn't agreed? Is there any, I think and the, I think the answer is, well, the transaction would have closed. Was there any binding commitment on Twitter to pay an uplift? It doesn't appear to be, but we'll have to wait and see what Wachtell produce. And finally, what is the real added value that Twitter received for paying 60-odd million above the build rates in the last few minutes? That's the big question mark. The benefit of the bargain is completely missing in that transaction. Yeah. yeah. So we've established that maybe Elon's got a chance. So my next question for you is, what do you think is going to happen and when will this all end? Oh, yeah. So, so I'm pretty clear on this one. Here's my answer. This case is going to be resolved and it's going to be resolved fast, very fast. And I'm talking weeks, maybe a couple of months. Here's the way I look at it, Marie. I just look at the downsides. What are the downsides for each of the parties? Uh, we can look at the upsides, but let's look at the downsides first. Let's look at Twitter or Elon Musk's downside. Not much, five million in fees, maybe 10 million. So the only downside for Musk is they're, they're gonna roll the dice and the only thing they can lose is legal costs. It's not like there's reputational risk or anything like that. So very clearly defined for me, drop in the ocean for Elon Musk. Then I think about what is the downside, what is the risk for Wachtell? And to me, that's an entirely different equation, okay? Because the risk is going to be, for me, I think of one thing, disclosure. I think of Wachtell having to disclose all of its internal documentation in relation to, firstly, how did they come up with a $90 million fee? And when we're talking about disclosure there, we're talking about everything, remember. We're talking about emails. We're talking about text messages. We're talking about WhatsApp messages. We're talking about those WhatsApp messages that say, woohoo, when the money hits the account, okay? And if in any of those internal Wachtell messages, anyone even suggests that Wachtell is in a good negotiating position or more to the point that perhaps the directors of um, Twitter might not have the incentive or the motivation to be as diligent as they otherwise would. Just a suggestion 
of that. And when I think about that, you can almost not help thinking there might be a suggestion or at least someone thinking about that, then I think that causes real trouble for Wachtels because even, and this can be across any one of the partners, because knowledge of any partner or anyone within the Wachtel organisation is going to be imputed to everyone else, okay? And I almost can't believe that somebody didn't think at least think, whether they wrote it down or not, at least think within Wachtels, this might be an opportunity for us to be able to negotiate hard because it may well be the Twitter directors were really, really happy with our result. Of course they were. They ended up securing three times the true value of Twitter, so all of the shareholders are going to be super, super happy. So the environment is right, and they're on their way out. So, look, rightly or wrongly, if someone has just even hinted at that, then I think that's going to cause trouble. And I always say really smart people, even really smart lawyers, sometimes we all just write stuff down that we shouldn't, that we just don't think or we don't think about what might happen. We all do it. If we look at our own WhatsApp messages, some of us would be mortified um, to see those messages out in the open. So it's perfectly normal and it's perfectly normal natural for lawyers too. So so that's one thing. But let's just assume Wachtel's internal emails, internal messages, it's all squeaky clean. Nobody has suggested anything about, about the Twitter directors perhaps not taking this as seriously as they might uh, or looking at it as conscientiously as they might otherwise. So let's just assume it's all squeaky clean. Wachtel is still going to have to produce, basically, their internal documentation on previous fee structures. And the reason is that is, it seems clear from the complaint that they used examples of previous deals to justify the $90 million that had been put to Twitter directors and approved. Now, from what I can tell, that has only been a high-level reference to those other deals. So Musk, of course, is going to require complete disclosure of all of those previous deals. And if, can you think about that? Can you think about, just have a think about Wachtel having to disclose those previous deals and its magic source in relation to a lot of those deals? And the, the conversations that they'd have to have with all their existing clients, <laughs> it's a mess. Well, and even even if they could claim privilege, let's say, and be able to anonymise all of that information, that is painful. They're not going to want to do that. Absolutely not going to want to do that. And especially if when you actually, which is my, and I'm absolutely, this is just pure supposition on my part and pure speculation, but I wouldn't be surprised if then when you dig into some of those deals that were used to justify or to support at least Tell's proposal, when you dig into that, you will find that the circumstances are each don't quite match up to the circumstances, which is not unusual, but they won't match up to the circumstances, the very unique circumstances here in Twitter's closing. So... And then, Marie, when I step back and I put my old law firm partner hat on, if I was a Wachtel partner, what would I think? Just get rid of this. Absolutely, and do it fast, okay? We do not need this. And just remember, 
I think last year, Wachdell's profit per equity partner was close to eight and a half million. In the past 12 months, it's probably going to be close to 10. Even if they were to pay back, let's say they paid back the entire 60 million uplift, the likelihood is it's going to be less than a million dollars a partner. So they're all still taking home around $9 million. Good times or happy times are still there. The sun is still shining. It's made probably not a difference to the lives of any one of those partners, but the pain and the potential embarrassment of having to go through and disclose all of that internal information. I just think it's, if I was a partner, I'm just saying, I would be saying, let's suck it up, pay the 60 back, we walk away, we shut this thing down, and we continue to earn the enormous amounts that we do and continue to be the most profitable law firm in the world. For me, it's a really, really easy answer, certainly if I was a partner. So we think Elon's got a chance. I think he's got a strong chance. And I think you're right on this, that this is going to settle quickly. But let's talk more broadly about how this has pushed, you know, a a conversation that needs to be had in the industry into the limelight and and what will happen more broadly. And I want to go back to stepping back into those shoes as a former big law partner. Like, what would you be thinking right now at this moment about, about the future and how you need to protect yourself? Well, look, I, I think the key theme message here is the corporate governance around payments made to any kind of consultant. It's just got to be clear, transparent, and being able to demonstrate by reference to market value, this is what the market determines is fair and reasonable value for this kind of service in these kind of circumstances for delivering this kind of outcome. And I think that here is going to want, is what will, if anything, is going to make, well, the directors of Twitter and Wachtell unstuck on this. It will be the lack of independent, objective data to demonstrate this is what the market determined was fair and reasonable for the service delivered. So, for me, and I think that principle applies across the board, and typically that principle is well executed across most of the organisation because there is good corporate governance, whether it's through a procurement department or the other functions. It just hasn't existed in the past across legal because, let's face it, legal has been the black box that sometimes has been too hard for the CFO or even the CEO to really understand what's going on. And certainly procurement hasn't managed to infiltrate in any significant way. So in the past, it has been kind of left on its own. So I think that I think that is the key lesson here. And if this case did go to trial, and I'd be surprised if it if it did, but if it does. What you're going to see, I think, is when that board came to approve the final fees, including Wachtell's fees, my sense is there was not a robust discussion around that. It's hard to see how there was because it's hard to see that there could have been any comparable objective data that was there for the board 
before they signed off on it. So to me, that is the kind of, that is the broader message around the organisation, whether it's the corporate departments, whether it's the legal departments having the governance and being good corporate stewards around the spend of the organisation, and particularly in legal, where, as I said, it has in the past been a bit of a black hole. Right, exactly. I think you're exactly right on that, Jim. And, and I think what's interesting is that the fact that there is ability to create this transparency around these decisions will, will change the standard, the standard these boards are held to, and, and the fact that this conversation is, is occurring now in the industry. And I think it would be really interesting the argument that gets thrown out there a lot on these bet the company type matters is is that well you know we can't afford to compete this out we need Wachtel because we know that they will close the deal but if you know that they're going to close the deal and that's why you're paying a sixty million dollar premium then why not just document that why yep. not compete it out yep correct there's there's nothing to be lost why not verify your gut instincts which tells you there's only one firm that can do it. Okay, and you have to pay this price. Why not verify that through a process and through ensuring that you've identified the scope, you've identified the outcome, and you've tested the market so that if you do ever get challenged, you'll be able to demonstrate it wasn't just gut feeling, it wasn't just supposition, it was market data that told you here is the price, here is the outcome, and here's where we landed and here's why. We'll see how it shakes out, Jim, won't we? We'll see how it shakes out. You'll have to excuse me, Marie, but the people down at the pool, the family members, they're calling out my name. Dad, Jim, come down. <laughs> so uh, I know you can hear them in the background. Great. Well, thanks, Jim. Great to speak to you, Marie. Bye-bye. Thank you, listeners, for tuning into the show. For more, please subscribe to the show in your favourite podcast player. If you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please connect with me. Jim, the host of the show, via email, jim at pursuit, P-E-R-S-U-I-T dot com. We'd love to hear from you.